Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is a View from the Bullens podcast. Listen to all the news, views and inside track from Goodison Park. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode from A View from the Bullins. And joining me this evening is Lee McLean and Ben Winstanley. Guys, we've had a number of weeks now to... To look back at a really, really difficult season. Ben, a lot's been said, a lot's been spoken about the season, how we started a bit in the middle and how we finished the season. What is your overall feeling now the season is finished and we're back in the Premier League for another season? Relief. That's probably what we're all thinking now as Evertonians. We're absolutely relieved that the season's finished. We stayed up. But now's the time to start asking questions to find out what exactly what happened this season because there's been so many lows week in week out so many lows but there's been a lot of high points as well so the way I'm going to answer your question now is make it go back to the start last summer Rafael Benitez is appointing Everton manager I remember us all doing a podcast at the time saying we'll give him every opportunity to to show us what what he can bring to the table we'll give him every chance and he got a very warm reception at Goodison Park um, obviously at home to Southampton and we had a, a really good start, a few really big wins against obviously Southampton, Burnley, Brighton away, picking up draws at Old Trafford and Leeds. And it looked like we were going places, everyone looked fit and firing, we had a system, we had a bit of an identity with a 4-4-2 and injuries struck straight away. We kind of lost our spine, I think obviously Dominic Calvert-Lewin missing, let, let's be real, six months of the season, cost our game plan completely. The Corway picked up a knock. Richarlison picked up a knock uh, against Burnley at home and three major key players being out for, for such a long period of time and then going on a, a winning streak of one win in, in 14 games just wasn't good enough and Rafael Benitez just didn't have it in him to turn the fortunes around. Now, I don't know if he was being stubborn or his tactics are outdated, but he could not get a tune out of the squad available and he was quite rightly sacked and for me, it came about a month or two too late. And I think if the change would have happened before Christmas, then we might have been comfortable a lot earlier. But there we have it. Frank Lampard was brought in. 
And towards the end of the season, one of the biggest positives for me, Mick, was the unity of the fans. A few people got together, a bit of a rallying cry on social media, us boys included, and it literally was a spark getting set alight. And the, the, the fans bought the flames. They really, really did. And they're my player of the season this year. I sent a tweet out earlier. The fans are the player of the season. The fans of this fantastic football club kept us up this season single-handedly. Every single person around the world, around the globe, getting behind this team, bringing the noise, bringing the support. And let's be honest, in such difficult times, which any other football club in the Premier League and, and all the divisions would have just crumbled, but not Evertonians, not Everton Football Club, not this fan base. We got together, we got this team by the scruff of the neck and we got this mediocre squad together and literally dragged them over the line to safety. Now, fair play to Frank Lampard. He came in, he had a bit of a, a tough start because we obviously tried to play a lot of football on the floor and us boys went to Burnley away. And I think that was kind of the, 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 the turning point for me. I think there were eight or 10 games left and he went away from this football and kind of playing out the back. And that's what I like so much about Frank Lampard and the running mick is that he, he adapted, he changed, he changed his techniques, he changed his tactics and we went a much more direct football club, a football team. The tactics were go long, get the ball up the pitch as quick as we can and let's try and win the second ball and go on the attack. And luckily, luckily, and I'm literally only just started sleeping again, it worked. We got the results. Big, big, big wins at home. Goodison Park was an absolute fortress. I've never seen it like that in my whole life. Absolutely phenomenal. So well done to every single one of you at Goodison Park and well done to everyone around the globe around the international toffees, all the supporters group, all the fans, wherever you may be. You've all paid, paid your part in this because you've been absolutely superb. So it, it's, it's been a season of ups and downs, like I said, a lot of lows. <laughs> but there has been some highs as well. The Alex Iwobi goal against Newcastle, massive high. Massive win against um, Manchester United and Chelsea home. Leicester away was the best away atmosphere I've ever seen as an Everton away supporter. So look, I'm hoping, I'm praying that the unity intensifies throughout the summer. We bring that into next season and we get off the blocks quickly. But this season cannot happen again for everyone's mental health, everyone's anxiety, everyone's been through the trenches this season. I really do say that and I mean it because it's been horrendous supporting this club this year. But the ending was great. The sheer relief and the celebrations were great. And thank you all for coming to our events. Just gone at the Beer on Friday night. Another brilliant turnout. Everyone brought the noise, but thank God the season's over. Um, but obviously, you boys have got a lot to say as well. So I, I'll let you guys have a, a say as well of what's gone on this season. But that's how I see it, Mick. I'm over the moon. It's over and we survived, but we've got to ask questions to what's actually gone on. Mm, yeah, Lee, there is so much to, to digest, but we're just going to rewind and look at the start of the season under. Rafa Benitez. And he started off okay, didn't it? A 3-1 win against Southampton, a 2-2 draw against Leeds at Ellen Road, where arguably Everton probably should have won that game. Knocked out Huddersfield in the, in the Carabao Cup, then travelled down to Brighton, which is not an easy fixture, and played very, very well and won 2-0. And it was quite a convincing 2-0. It could have been more on the day. Came back to Goodison Park, didn't play particularly well against, against Burnley, but nevertheless, ran out 3-1 winners. Okay, a, a, a bad defeat then at Aston Villa, 3-0, but that was the first defeat of the of the season. And then you thought, right, what, what have the, these Everton players got about them now? First defeat, first chink in the armour. They went to QPR, got beat on penalties, and I think everyone at the time then started to think, here we go, is this now the slide? But it wasn't, was it? They then beat Norwich 2-0, again, not a particularly great performance, not a convincing win but it was another three points. And then the this Everton team under, under Rafa Benitez then travelled to Old Trafford. And, you know, we haven't got a particularly great record at Old Trafford in the Premier League, but they ground out a 1-1 draw at Old Trafford and arguably again, maybe should have got all three points. And we were into October at that point. So one defeat, I think it was in seven, you know, at the start of the Premier League. And I think a lot of Evertonians were quite optimistic, weren't they, under Rafa Benitez's early tenure, thinking, you know what, where could we finish here? We're not too bad on the road. And at home, we're finding ways to win. But after that Man U game, Lee, at Old Trafford, it all just quickly unravelled. And why was that, do you think? Um, what I will say is that seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? All of those games that you've just reeled off there, Mick. 
I mean, that, that's, that seems like three years ago, not nine months. I mean, everything that's happened since we've been through the ringer and more, it's been hell. Uh, and I don't, I don't say that lightly. And I speak on behalf of probably every Evertonian listening to this podcast. It's been a genuinely horrible, forgettable experience this last nine months, taking its toll on all of us. But what I, what I can recall at the start of the season was saying, you know, with everything that had gone on, I think with players that were, were shown the exit door or forced out by Benitez, the squad looked very, very vulnerable. It looked paper thin. You know, if you looked at the, the first 11, it looked okay. You know, and probably those results when everyone was fit and firing and, you know, ready for the start of the season probably reflected that. And we got off to a decent start. But there were a couple of dodgy performances in there where probably the results didn't exactly match the, the performance levels. And all it really took was a couple of injuries. And that's exactly what happened. And then the, the, the true nature of the squad was probably exposed for everyone to see. And it, and it quickly unravelled. Now, the, the feeling towards Benitez at the start of the season, and I can only speak for myself, I don't know about you two lads, but it, it seemed very forced to me. It was like we were almost trying really hard to get behind it. You had to really dig deep and say, OK, we'll give this man a chance. Knowing probably deep down in your heart of hearts, it was completely wrong. And I mean, completely wrong. I mean, talking about decisions in terms of the history of this football club, that's got to be up there with one of the worst decisions ever made you know, to, to appoint Rafa Benitez as custodian of this football club was just completely bang out of order, to be honest. Um, it was done without the fans in mind. It was completely um, selfish from that respect by the owner and whoever else was involved in that decision. And, and it was kind of inevitable what happened. Um, the, the fan base was completely split. The atmosphere was toxic, especially, especially towards the end. It, it wasn't pleasant going to Goodison Park, going away from home. I remember the game against Hull uh, in the FA Cup where, again, we were all there. And even though we ran out winners on that night, it, the atmosphere was just flat. I mean, when the goals went in, you know, the, the, the people behind the goal could barely muster a cheer standing up. It was just very muted. We weren't really behind the manager and that sort of reflected. And we came out to that game and, and it felt like a defeat. And we just progressed to the next round of the FA Cup and that sort of said it all. I, I couldn't agree with Ben Moore when, when he said um, the, the sacking came a month too late. That was completely correct. I remember, again, recalled speaking on the podcast with us guys and we were looking at the fixture list saying, OK, we've got like a quite favourable run of games about a month before Benitez was sacked. If you think of the games that we lost, you know, Watford at home, you know, there were others, Norwich away, some really, really poor games, but games that were very winnable. I mean, had we appointed someone at Lampard, a month earlier, with with a, a kind, favourable fixture list to get him up and running. I agree with Ben. I think we would have been safe a lot sooner. But credit to Lampard. I mean, I know we're talking about the start of the season. I, it, it's hard for me to to dig deep and think back and, and think what I was thinking back then, Mick, because I've been through that much since we all have. It's hard to sort of take yourself back to those times. I'm just glad that we got the appointment right. Even that was looking dodgy for a while. It looked like we were going to bring completely the wrong person in. Scared to close to the wind in that respect. Brought Lampard in. He's done exactly what Benitez failed to do. And that was, you know, he didn't have a stubborn side. He was willing to adapt, change his style, you know, listen, listen to feedback from others. And that, event, that, in the end, is what essentially kept us up. That change in philosophy, mindset, digging deep, going in the trenches, you know, looking, looking to the players who will go to battle with you. That's what got us the... Um, you know, the, the points needed at the end of the season. And I think I heard someone say the other day at the event that our form after the Newcastle game where Iwobi got that vital last-minute winner was was top six from that until the end of the season. I think it was top six form. And that's what's kept us up because, believe you me, you know, me and Ben were in the in the car on the way home from, from that Burnley game. Eight, eight or nine games left, five points behind, albeit with a game in hand, with our next four fixtures being Chelsea, United, Liverpool and Leicester. It looked very, very bleak. I was convinced we were gone. So the fact that we've turned it round, it's massive relief. We've got away with one. And like Ben said, there, we just can't let this happen again. Lessons have to be learned. You know, From the top to the bottom, lessons have to be learned. We can't go into next season with the squad we've got because we can't expect the fans to dig us out of the holes that we've got ourselves out of. Again, that's not fair. It's, we've, we've got, there has to be more emphasis on quality on the pitch, the playing squad, the coaching everything, the playing side, they need to take more responsibility now. 
And, you know, if we're going to have any sort of success next season and not experience what we've had to experience for the last nine months, that's got to happen. But I'm, like Ben just said, completely relieved it's over. And for the last two weeks and three days, I've actually started to to sleep properly and function properly as a human being because it was very difficult to do that for the six months that went before it. Mm, yeah, and Ben, let's rewind. It's Tuesday the 18th of January. Everton have now just announced that they have sacked Rafa Benitez after just six and a half months in charge. And that was coming off the back of a, a terrible defeat at Carrow Road against Norwich in a, in a 2-1 defeat. And we'd won just once in the Premier League since September. We were sitting in 15th. We were six points above the relegation zone. And at that point, we were managersless. Did you think at that point Everton would be all right and we wouldn't get dragged into a dogfight, you, you know, near enough half a season left? Or, or did you think, you know what, it is panic stations and this has come a month too late? What were your thoughts then? Obviously, I, I think panic stations for me, uh, I think it was late October, early November. Mick and Leon spoke to the Perriers in our, in our WhatsApp chat. I think we had the run of games of, I think it was Villa away, um, Wolves away, and then West Ham at home. And I think we remember saying we needed like three or four points to like try and like drag us out the mess. And we got nothing. We got we had three defeats on the bounce. And I thought, oh no, we're in a bit of a mess here. So from that point, I, I really did think we were in a, a bit of a dogfight, a bit of a scrap because obviously going the games and watching us up close, there was no real style of play. I couldn't quite see what Rafael Benitez was trying to achieve. And Obviously, the first few games going 4-4-2 with, obviously, Damari Gray on the right. And um, we, had, we had Luca Dean, obviously, at left-back, bombing on, bombing forward. We had a very good counter-attacking side. Then a few injuries get, get knocked down. Alan picked up a few knocks to Corey, like I said before, Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison. Yeri Mina literally hasn't been around all season either. So there's your spine of the team gone. And, and I just think, like I said before, the ideas started to go on out very quickly that the goals dried up. That was a massive thing for me. We just could not score goals. And even with Lampard in charge and Benitez in charge, and someone for me that has to simply change next season, is the amount of times we actually concede first. We concede goals so fast, so many times this season. And I actually think we're one of the top teams from coming from behind to pick up points this season. I think we were in the top, the top two or three of actually getting points from losing positions which seemed to happen every single game. We went 1-0 down and somehow managed to scrape something back. But like I said earlier, I think I think we had to make the decision before Christmas. Um, I think the Everton board messed up really in that respect. Obviously, January the 18th, like you said before, it was when he actually left the club and Duncan Ferguson took charge against Aston Villa and we went on to lose that game as well, 1-0. And I was thinking, oh no, if, if Big Dunk can't get a tune out of this squad, then what, what on earth are we going to do? But... Yeah, I was right in the mix. I remember us doing our spaces saying that we tried to remain positive, we tried to remain upbeat, but I just felt at the time we were fighting the losing battle and I was seriously, seriously concerned. The fan base was completely split. There was the whole Vita Pereira thing going on as well in the background. The Twitter was very toxic. Social media was a, a place to avoid at the time. Um, we were doing a lot of Twitter space as well at the time, trying to elaborate of, of what was going on uh, and what information we knew and just trying to give a voice to the fan base to try and calm everyone down, calm everyone's nerves. But I think to, to get a manager in with only a few days left at the transfer window as well and I thought that was incredibly naive of the Everton's board as well. If, if the decision was going to be made, it had to be done before Christmas, before the new year and before the January transfer window to give them a chance to come in analyse the squad and he can then make the decision on who he wants to sell, who he wants to bring in. Because look, apart from Mikhelenko, brilliant, the, the past few games of the season, he looks solid, very solid defensively, especially on the very defensive side. He looks extremely, extremely great. But you look at Donny van der Beek, that, that, that decision didn't really pay off. Steli Alley, besides the 45 minutes, minutes against Crystal Palace, where he was phenomenal, absolutely brilliant. That decision kind of didn't go to plan either. Um, Patterson, unfortunately, got a got a uh, obviously a knock to his ankle. We can't really rejudge him this early, but it just all seemed a bit rushed. Um, it, it speaks of what's happened for the past few years of this football club. It's kind of like quick, rash decisions, no real plan, no real identity, but credit to Lampard. He come in, knew he had a job to do. The away form was still a bit 
rubbish to be fair we couldn't buy a win away from home Mick you travel up and down to every away game and don't think you've seen an away win for a, a, a long time until we obviously went to Leicester City and got three points there but it's a credit to the fan base for sticking with it uh, sellouts home and away week in week out and like I said before the fans saved us Mick they really really did the, the, the fan base have been incredible and fair play to each and every one of them boy girl man woman a lot of them absolutely brilliant hats off to everyone Lee Rafa Benitez has, has left Everton now and we're now going to fast forward a couple of weeks it's now the 31st of January it's a Monday it's around 6 o'clock and Everton finally announced that Frank Lampard has been appointed as new Everton manager on a two and a half year contract bringing a whole host of new backroom staff with him at this point now, at the, at the present time in, in January, Everton was sitting in 16th, 20 games played, 19 points and a minus 11 goal difference. But a few real, really telling stats at, at this point were Everton's pressing issues and the high turnovers amongst the team. We were 20th out of 20. Goal ending high turnovers, we were 20 out of 20. So we were, we were leaking goals so easily and so comfortably. Goals conceded from... High turnovers, that was a five, and that was a 20th again. It, it, it was a, a car crash, really, wasn't it, in team structure, team management, positional sense of an 11. Once Frank Lampard got appointed, did you expect an instant reaction, an instant manager bounce, or did you honestly think, you know what, there's some deep, deep lying issues at this football club, and it's going to take Frank Lampard a long time to sort out? Yeah, definitely the latter, Mick. I think it, it was very, very simple. It was clear to see that there's he was coming into an absolute shitstorm, to be fair. Um, you looked at the fixtures. Again, I think the timing of the appointments was just one of a catalogue of mistakes that the board made this season. I thought it was appalling. And Lampard came in. Um, you know, what The one thing he had on his side was the fact that he wasn't Rafa Benitez. I think that's the biggest thing that Lampard had in his favour straight away was that the fans were always going to get behind pretty much pretty much anyone, apart from people who go on and self-serve and do their own interviews on Sky Sports News. Maybe not people like that, but Lampard came in. He had, he had everyone right behind him because everyone had just been through you know, a, a period of time with a manager in place who nobody wanted there in the first place. Everyone was desperate to get out in the end. You know, It was a massive relief when he did go. And then Lampard came in. I think he did have a bit of naivety at the start. You talk about the style of play and the mistakes that were getting made. I don't think, if you're honest, he acted quick enough to address that. I don't think he, he did enough. And that probably mirrored itself in, in the away results that Ben's just alluded to there. You know, the away form was just, that didn't pick up at all. You know, I think we, we ticked over in terms of results and um, performances at home. I think there was a massive marked improvement there. And I think that had a lot to the to do with the the unity of the fans, the, the the fact that everyone sort of got back together, you know, like Ben's just said there, the the, the sort of reaction and the, the the way that the fans sort of took it upon themselves to drag the club out of the mess that they were in was the highlight of the season for me. Uh, it was absolutely incredible. And as I say, the, the atmosphere at Goodison Park under Lampard in the last few months was second to none. It was an absolute pleasure to be in Goodison Park at last again, because, you know, we, we certainly couldn't say that for, for the... the first part of the season. Um, but it was just nice to see, you know, I think obviously Burnley was the turning point and that was the point where everyone, players, Lampard, fans, everyone included with the club probably sat up and went, oh, oh God, right, okay, we're, we're in deep here. We're in, we're in a massive predicament. You know, there was a lot of talk and there was a lot of looking ahead to the fixture list. I know we talked about the fixture list a lot. You know, we probably said we needed to be safe before the last six games of the season. Can you remember saying that? Because you looked at the fixture list and it didn't look kind, especially when you compared it to the teams that were in and around us. You know, it, it didn't look too promising at all, and that didn't happen. You know, and quite the opposite, we were we were right in the mire with eight eight games to go. Um, so it was pretty much a miracle that we ended up staying up, but we did. And I think, like like I mentioned before, that's a testament to Lampard's sort of ability to swallow his pride, probably I would say, a little bit. Okay, what I'm doing is not exactly working. It, you know, we're not playing to our strengths. We have to go direct, quite simply, because we haven't got the players to play football. We haven't got the players with the technical ability, the confidence to receive the ball in tight areas from the back or indeed the players to play out from the back with any sort of accuracy or confidence. You know, we, you know, we, we've got 
we didn't have Dominic Calvert-Lewin for a large portion. It was only probably the last two or three games of the season where we saw a, a sort of almost near and full fitness Dominic Calvert-Lewin come back. And we didn't really adapt to that. Um, you know, we, the goals dried up, you know, with Gordon, Richarlison and Damari Gray up there. You know, we couldn't quite find a combination that was working. Um, you know, but I think even even a 50% fit Calvert-Lewin helped Lampard massively. And I think I know I know we give him a little bit of a hard time when he first came back into the side because it, it looked like perhaps he wasn't given 100% effort. I think his return did Lampard, you know, that, that was a huge thing for Frank Lampard in terms of us staying up this season because it allowed us to go more direct, feed off scraps, play to our strengths, um, you know, get get the ball forward quicker, let the Gladys Street and the Park End suck the ball in. And that's that's what happened in the end. And that is that's a positive sign going forward to next season. Now I'm sure Lampard's gonna want to stamp his authority and, and his own style of play on this playing squad if he can, if he has the opportunity to do so in the transfer market uh, this summer. Um but the fact that he was willing to do that, the fact that he did have a plan B, the fact that he was probably willing to listen to other people around him, that extensive coaching staff that you that you mentioned before, is a positive because the, unfortunately the previous manager that that was not a tool in his armory, and um, to say the least, you know one of the most stubborn managers I've ever come across in your life, not just with playing style but with relationships with players and everything, and you just look how damaging that was in the end. So, listen, he came in, he inherited probably. I would say, in terms of the overall state of the football club, the worst. I've, I've never known Everton Football Club to be in a worse position than the, the the club that Frank Lampard took over at the end of January. So the fact that by hook or by crook, he's managed to keep us up is a big tick in his box. He's been far from perfect. I think we'll all concede that. I think there's definitely been room for improvement. But you tell you what, you, they do say you learn more from difficult times and I think that will be the case for Lampard I think we've all been through it you'll be able to look back in retrospect and say okay I won't do that again you know we need to do more of this you know and, and that will help hopefully help him become a more rounded manager you know stronger mentally uh, going forward into next season and hopefully he can get a little bit more quality in players that suit his style a little bit more and then balance it with the grit with the fight that you need as an Everton player. You heard Neville Southall talking about it on Friday night at the event. You know, you, you can't get away from that. Look at Alex Iwobi as an example. Prime exhibit A. You know, there's a player who turned his form around because he, he he went to the well and he absolutely dug in and he gave 120% and look at the reaction he got. You know, he's gone off on the summer holidays now with everyone's best wishes because because he he fought and he fought for the cause. So we can get the mix of that with a little bit more quality, hopefully we'll be in a better position next season. But we, Lampard's the right man for the job. He's unified this club. I think we're all right behind him. Um, and I'm confident we won't have to go through that again next year. Ben Lee says Frank Lampard is the right man for the job. But, but a couple of stats. So Frank Lampard joined Everton, obviously, in January. And there was a few, you know, questionable things regarding his style of play, his defensive career as a manager previously at clubs like Derby. Were you concerned by that? He brought in Paul Clement as his main man next to him and he adopted a system that was kind of to Everton's downfall. Looking at the stats, if you are a big stat man, and I bet I know you love the stats. Everton finished the season considering the most amount from set pieces. Everton were only averaging 340 passes a game. So we weren't playing much football, one of the lowest in the league. Did you think Lampard didn't adapt quick enough, especially away from home where we were just leaking goals and arguably our away form actually got worse under Frank Lampard? Statistically, it got worse until it got a little bit better towards the end. Did you think Frank Lampard needed to almost swallow his pride and think, you know what? And I know he came out and said it. Football is not for now. It's now a battle. Did you think that should have happened a lot earlier? Um, it's a difficult one, but one thing that stood out from what you just said there, Mick, is obviously the, the, the stats relating to the, the set-piece goals. I've never known a season where I've turned around to you boys and even my brother and said, look at the size of him at the back post and we were 1-0 down or 2-2. or All season we've conceded from crosses. It's been a real slog at set-pieces. Every time a, a team get a corner... He put it into the into the mix and was a goal. Um, I know Benitez was a big fan of zonal marking. 
And I think when Lampard came in, he initially stuck with the zonal marking because that's what he obviously adopted at, at Derby and at Chelsea. And I remember speaking to a few Chelsea fans at the time and they said that they did concede a lot from set pieces with him in the, when he was the manager there. And you can see why that's why the club are trying the hardest to get, obviously, Anthony Barry back from Chelsea. Uh, it's going to be a, a difficult task, but him coming in as some sort of assistant role, because if you, if you compare us to Chelsea, Chelsea very rarely concedes from set pieces. I know that was Paul Clement's area. and Don't, don't get me wrong, he's a, he's a brilliant number two. But just that set piece coach to come in, settle everyone down and work really hard with this bunch. We, we need a leader, let's be honest, because when Yerry Mina plays, we're so much better defensively, so much better. I think the stats speak to themselves. When, when Yerry Mina plays, I think the win rate's about 57%. But the problem is, he comes in for one and then he's out for four or five games, even longer. Um, it's been one hell of a slog at the back. And for me, that's been a massive, massive weakness of Everton. Having to rotate centre-halves is a big problem for any football club at any level. I'd argue it's one of the most, most vital positions on the pitch to get an understanding with your playing partner. You look at all, all the so-called, or well, the big four, shall we say. They had no real issues and no real big injuries at the back. They had a solid centre-half partnership all the way through. Look at Chelsea, Rudiger, um, Thiago Silva, for example. Um, Arsenal, obviously Ben White and Gabriel and a few others. And we just didn't have the depth in, 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 in our squad to, to fill in. I was having to play Bramthwaite, a 19-year-old boy as well in some games to come on. And it, it's, a real, it's a real difficult position. You've got to be commanding. You've got to be horrible. You're on the ball quite a lot. And obviously, when Lampard came in, we, we were playing a lot out from the back. And we were predominantly using Mason Holgate and Michael Keane. And let's be honest here, Holgate and Keane, that's not their game. Holgate can string a pass together, but predominantly in a game, he goes long ball 95% of the time. He loves that long switch as does Michael Keane, which did work under Carlo Ancelotti, but it just was not working. He was trying to get the ball down. He was trying to play off from the back and inevitably leading to errors. Obviously, when we were at Newcastle, Mick, obviously we can see the two quick goals from, from leading 1-0. And it just went really downhill from there. Southampton away, another error at the back, Andre Gomez. We just didn't have the, the players, as Lee touched on before, to have the ball in such tight spaces. And all teams had to do was press us high let us make the mistake and do it in or get a corner and put us in, in, literally in the onion bag and just get it on the big centre-half. So that was a concern. It really, really was. You and I were talking and around middle of March, I think it was obviously after the Burnley game and we were worried. I, I was thinking, where on earth are we going to get these away wins from? We need to change it up. We, we were saying we could have gone to, let's be honest here, anti-football a lot earlier, played the long balls, played to our strength go long, put Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin up there, just be a nuisance play on the second ball, try and get higher up the pitch because we couldn't work through the channels, we couldn't work through the lines, we couldn't get behind teams. They were coming to Goodison or being at home, going 1-0 up and just parking the bus saying, come on Everton, come at us. And when you've got the ball at the back, we were high pressure and then sit back in. And we didn't have the quality to break anyone down and yeah, that's something that Lampard's going to have to work on. Hopefully we can get Anthony Barry in over the summer to work on obviously set pieces, shore us up uh, at literally both ends of the field because I think we were near the bottom for goals scored from set pieces as well where obviously under Ancelotti when that David Ancelotti was here we were scoring quite a lot from set pieces. Obviously we had James Rodriguez putting the ball in the box but look, we need to improve this summer. We cannot go into the season next, season, next year with this squad. We simply cannot because we're going to be in a dogfight again. And we need to wake up and realise that because we need a complete overhaul of this squad. So it's up to Lampard, Kevin Felwell and the Everton board to wake up and realise that that cannot happen again and make the changes necessary to ensure that we are a Premier League club up until Bramley Moors completed because uh, completed, that's what it needs to happen. Mm, so, Lee, the season's now finished. I won't go on much more about you know how we ended the season. It's all been well documented and and well praised, especially the, the, the fan base. So 38 games played, 43 goals scored, 66 conceded, and 39 points. And Everton finished the season in 16th. So we're going to close the curtains now on the 21-22 on the season. And, and we're going to look back and never look at that sort of season again, we hope. So going into this summer, going into next season, obviously it's a, it's a huge summer again, which has been well documented. A lot of rumours, a lot of transfer negotiating going around amongst all the clubs at the moment. But 
is it now baby steps for Everton Football Club? Is it now, you know what, let's walk before we can run? You know, is this the, have we hit rock bottom, do you think? Do you think now maybe it's time to think, you know what, if Everton can finish just somewhere around mid-table, 12th, 13th next season, it will be an improvement and it will be okay? What are your thoughts going into next season on that? <laughs> well, I certainly hope we've hit rock bottom, Mick. I hope it doesn't get any worse than that. I couldn't take it. I'm not even joking when I say that. I don't think I could take that season again. Uh, but yeah, I think you're right. I think we'd be probably a little bit naive to think, you know, top six or even top eight is, is a realistic aim next season. You look at that Premier League, I think it looks particularly strong heading into next year. You know, there's some really good teams in, the, in that division. I think teams who are going to be strengthening to teams that already finished above us. Um, I think the teams that we need to be targeting, you know, the teams that should never be finishing above us, they're all pretty self-explanatory. I don't need to go into detail. You know, the Southamptons of the world and things like that. You know, we, sh we shouldn't be finishing below teams like that. I think success next season, baby steps is probably a really good analogy to use. Mick would agree with that. I think we just need to get the ba basics right. I think we need to take the learnings from last season. I think we need to be more solid, more compact, play to our strengths a little bit more. I think it's probably rumoured that we want to keep hold of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I hope we do. Just from a personal point of view, I hope we keep hold of him and build a team around him because I think he's a he's a very impressive unit. Um, you know, and if we can get you know the ball wide and you know get get behind teams and put some good crosses in, you know, maybe Nathan Patterson on the right, Michael Enko on the left, you know, that you've got a couple of really good, exciting, quick, young full-backs, wing-backs, whatever you want to call them there. And that, that's maybe a good basis to start off with. Um, but I think for me, clearing the decks is a priority. You know, I think we've got a very, very cluttered, you know, aging, stale core of that squad who have, who have been hanging around for far too long, like a bad smell. You know, so, you know, I know you've got a, a few of them coming to the end of the contracts on the 30th of June and, you know, we're probably not going to be, you know, offering them the fondest of farewells have not really provided bang for our buck um, and, and, and they'll leave and not be missed. Um, I think there's, there's plenty of others that you'd look at. You know, how many times this season have we turned around and said, you know, you'd only keep a handful of players? It's probably easier with this squad to say, to name who you'd keep rather than the players that, you know, you want to get rid of. You know, but for me, there are so many who are surplus to requirements, who are just very, very dispensable, easily replaced. As much as we don't like him, um, you know, and, and you know, the, he gives us a load of stick. You know, Jamie Carragher said something after the Merseyside derby, when we were hammered at home 4-1, very, very humbling night. And that was, you know, we, we haven't got players that can move. You know, look at the Everton squad. They're so immobile, slow, sluggish. You know, they, they lack legs and energy. And so I think when we're looking at potential recruits, I think one of the things that we, we need to be looking at is, is energy, is legs, ability to get around the pitch quickly. You, know, you look at all the top sides in the country, City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs, they've all got players who can move and get about the pitch, who still look like after 85 minutes that they've still got half an hour left in them. You know, it, they're not blowing for tugs you know, by the time it gets to 50, 60 minutes. And that's what it looks like with Everton a lot of the time. Um, just some footballers, a bit of guile. You know, I'd like to see someone, you know, I think we really, really missed playmaker last year. Obviously, you know, we had the, the Icelandic man who you know, we can't talk about for, for obvious reasons, but he was a big miss. He would have probably started a lot of games last season. Certainly, Hamas Rodriguez, you know, we should never have got rid, rid of him. He wasn't perfect. Probably wouldn't have played 38 games. Or he would have played 20 to 25. And I dare say he would have produced a few moments of magic that would have got more results and turned a few draws into wins. We really, really missed the creative spark. So I think that has to be a priority. You know, Matthew Neal's not on the podcast this evening, but he, he bangs on about the, the need for a number six. That's absolutely apparent as well. We definitely, definitely need a dynamic number six. The player that we probably thought Abdoulaye Decore was going to be, or Alan. Alan, you know, he's, he's got his attributes. You know, he's he's a, he's a little ankle biter. When he's on it, he's, his attitude's good. He's a, he's a fighter. You know, but he, again, he's not mobile enough. He hasn't got that range of passing. He's not going to, he's not versatile enough. And plus, he picks up one too many, you know, a few too many injuries as well. Can't really rely on him. Yerry Mina, great player, by far our best centre back. Not reliable enough. And for for the money that he's on, one hundred twenty thousand pounds a week. Combine that with the predicament that we're in from a financial point of view. You know, can we really justify keeping Yerry Mina on the books? Probably not. So you'd say he's an asset that would probably have a few suitors out there. And if we can, you know, get 15, 15 million maybe for him. 
you know, you'd snap someone's hand off because centre back, although it's a very, very important position, quite easy to replace. You know, there's plenty of players out there with a good scouting system. You know, with Tarkovsky is very heavily linked. You know, you know, he could come in and be someone who's a mainstay at the back there that we can that we can really build a solid foundation on. So I think for me, Mick, I think tenth, anywhere, anywhere really between eighth being probably a little bit positive and optimistic and 12th I think we'd all probably take that a decent cup run you know, maybe going one one better in the FA Cup or the League Cup I think we'd all probably be, be more than accepting of that the fan base is unified I think that's probably not going to go away now I think we've really really stumbled across something there which is a massive positive and that that will push us on um, but who knows listen football's, football's a funny game and teams have come from nowhere before and we might just nail the recruitment in the summer. You know, the fact is we've made so many mistakes, you know, of, of epic proportions. You know, you can't, you surely, you know, the, the people who have really been called out, they have to learn from that. They have to listen um, because they know, listen, we've got away with one there. We've got away with one last season. We've, we've survived by the skin of our teeth. Would that happen again? You know, if we were to find ourselves in that same position next season, with eight games to go, five points behind in the relegation zone, you know that the fact you know Lady Luck may not shine on us like it did this season. The fans may not have the same impact. You just you just don't know. We don't want, let let's not allow that to happen. Let's let's take it out of the fans' hands. Let's get a decent squad of players on the pitch. Players who are able to stay fit, you know, is, is a massive one for me, um, and and then build from there. But I'm confident Lampard can do it. You know, I think if we can get this guy in from Chelsea, that'd be a huge coup. On paper, our coaching squad looks really, really strong as well. Getting our full pre-season's massive. Don't forget, we've reiterated earlier on what Lampard came into, the timing and everything. He really had to hit the ground running. You know, he, he didn't have any time to mess about. He had to learn on the job. This time he's got pre-season. He's got a, you know, a good couple of months now to really assess, evaluate, tell people what he wants and then try and work on that with the players that he's got so you know let's let's get right behind him like we did um for the for the time that he's been here and i'm, I'm listen that that's not going to happen again it, it won't it won't happen again because we've said it we said it at different points last season although it was it was horrendous it was a nightmare and, and we have got a poor squad there's no getting away from that it wasn't a 17th or 16th place squad it's just not We've got players who are better than that. We should never, ever have been in that predicament. But we were because of certain situations which we've touched upon. So you'd like to think that wouldn't happen again. So yeah, I'd say mid-table, we'd all snap your hands off for, for that and then build again season after. Ben, Lee's happy with maybe a mid-table finish or, or around 12th, so to speak. So what do you think Frank Lampard and Kevin Thurwell and the Everton board have got to address this summer? What is What are the priorities for you? Because... This isn't going to be addressed in one summer, is it? This is going to take a number of windows to address, to sort out and to cipher through the players that we don't want, the ones that we want to keep, but ultimately players that will want to move on who maybe feel that they can play at a higher level than Everton. Everton and then got to maximise the, the profit on, on those sort of players as well. So do you think it may be a bit of a, a wheel and deal sort of couple of windows coming up for Everton? It's going to be extremely difficult. We all know the financial restraints surrounding Everton Football Club at the moment and obviously working closely with the Premier League. They've got to sign off on every single bit of business we do now to, to balance our books because, let's be honest, the, uh, the owner, Farhad Mashiri, has played literally the devil with these super agents and spent all his money um, and we literally are no better for it. In fact, we're probably worse. So... It's going to be extremely difficult for Lampard and Kevin Farewell. We need to trust them. I think they will get it right, but it's absolutely, it's it's sell to buy for me. Absolutely. I think we, we can't go around that fact that we've lost over, what, £250 million over the course of three years. And I'm no accountant, I'm no Premier League expert, but I do know you're only allowed £105 million loss over that period. So I don't know how they've got around it. They've, they've done something uh, and the Premier League have signed it off. So that whole Burnley leads to Barker was an absolute load of nonsense, um, which, which kindly got quashed by the Premier League. So it is bargain basement. Leeds touched him before, James Tarkowski, 29-year-old, big, horrible centre-half, and he stays fit. I think he played over 30, 33 or 34 times in the Premier League last year for Burnley and has done that year in, year out. He very rarely gets injured, touch wood. We know, we know what happens when you join Evan. But he is a, a defender that stays fit. 
and he is a leader. He's a big, horrible centre-half. And you look back to his Brentford days, he could definitely play football. He could bring it off from the back. He can pass the ball. But obviously, that wasn't Burnley's tactics. Burnley's tactics were going hard, get the ball and play it forward as quick as we can. Because um, they knew they didn't have the football and ability to obviously pass it around the back and play through midfield, a bit like what Everton are at the moment. But yeah, it's going to be difficult. We've obviously got two, well, let's, let's be honest, three huge assets at the club for me. Obviously, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's one. Richarlison is probably the biggest. Uh, and you've got a look at Jordan Pickford this form this season. Another standout year for, for Jordan Pickford. My player of the season after the fans, shall we say, for the sublime all year. Gone as out the mess. And without him, it would have been a real, real disastrous season. I think we would have probably gone down. So hats off to Jordan Pickford. So they're the free saleable assets. I, I can't see anyone coming for Jordan Pickford. Richarlison's going to have a lot of interest for me. Uh, I really think a lot of clubs are going to come in for him. His market stock's very high. He, he's had a good season for in, forever. In, in, in a poor side, let's get it right. We are a poor side at the moment, um, footballing-wise. And he's shone. D- Dominic Calvert-Lewin's market value, unfortunately, dropped clearly because obviously due to the injuries he had. But he scored some vital goals and never to be scored the goal that kept us in the Premier League. So hats off to him. But we need to be so clever. Obviously, the, there's been mentions of bids going in for players where we're looking to pay in instalments. And I think Evan will go down that market, down that line, be very savvy in the deals and the business we do. But touching upon where we need to strengthen, for me, I think we need two centre-halves. I really, really do, because we can't be playing Mason Holgate, Michael Keane, and relying on Jared Blanthwaite when, obviously, Yerry Mean is inevitably injured. I think what Lee again touched on, a proper number six, um, we haven't addressed that issue since Adrisa Garner Gay left. Before we had it with Gabamin, and he's been no fault of his own. For injuries, probably one of the worst Everton signings uh, over the past, over the Machiri era. Again, just how many in- injuries he's actually picked up and value for money has been next to nothing because we haven't seen him play. So that's a position that we need to strengthen of a matter of it's got to be done. We need someone to protect that back four. That we're too easy to play through the lines. Teams can get at our midfield, when, especially when we only play two in there, we've got no real anchor where the two midfielders press high with the teams getting behind us and sit in that pocket of space and they're running out of our back four. And we've seen it so many times this season. So hopefully they can address that. For me, we need a right winger. We need another winger and we need a striker because let's be honest, Rondon, he had, he had, he had his moments, but not good enough. We need someone that's going to chip in with the goals because that's an FT where we, we dried up this season. We had Richarlison a few goals, Damari Gray a few goals, but yeah, we need goals on this side and quick because what you touched on earlier, the amount of goals we scored this season is not good enough. I think it's only it's not even over just over one goal per game. It, it's really, really not good enough. The goal difference is bad. Baby steps, yes, but look, it's Everton Football Club. We need to sign winners. I'm not trying to like jump before I can walk here, but we need to look in the lower leagues, look in the championship, find young, hungry players. You look at your Brennan Johnsons of Nottingham Forest, for example, Lewis Potter at Hull City. These are the sort of players that Evertonians want to see and get behind. So, a youth player, a young player that's still got market value in a few years to really come in, kickstart his career, play for the share, not going to be on ridiculous money, not going to be your 27, 28-year-old Andre Gomez walking around at £120,000. These young players playing for contracts. And look, if they perform brilliantly for Everton and we, we get more money from them, that's how a business works. At the moment, Everton commercially, globally, cannot afford to continue to buy and buy and buy. We just don't have it in us. It's a fact. The facts and figures are out there. We just don't have. We haven't. We're not that size yet. We know we are, and we can be. And Everton's board needs to wake up and smell that and try and get us these deals in to obviously commercialise the club. I think Bramley Moore will help massively. I really, really do. And like I alluded to earlier, we need to. I think that'll be the next time we can properly be a. We can really go to town and spend on players. Unless we sell two big assets, I really think that's going to be the next time. So we need to be clever. I think Tarkovsky, like I touched on earlier, is good business. But let's go and explore the championship, like I said. Let's go and get the likes we used to get Tim Kales in, for example. Hungry players who wanted to put on the shares and fight for the shares and prove to everyone that the Premier League standard, no prima donnas, workers who are going to fight for the badge, run round, and drag us out this mess because we are in a mess at the moment. So hopefully the board get it right. They need to get it right. Otherwise, we're going to be in a, a real dogfight again next season. I really, really do think that regardless of how unified the fans are because the squad's just simply not good enough. 
So it's over to them. They've got a lot of people to prove wrong. I just hope they've got it up their sleeves to prove us all wrong. Mick, I'm going to, Ben, if you don't mind, I'm going to come to you to, to sort of round this, this off today because me and Ben have done a lot of talking. But I know obviously the three of us have gone through this whole thing together. You know, same as every Evertonian probably listening to this. What Mick, what, what are your thoughts? Obviously, you, you've been through this experience the last nine months of this season. Arguably the most difficult season. I can recall being an Evertonian. You've been there, home and away. I don't think you've missed an away game. You know, Correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think you have. Um, and there's been points this season where we've been messaging and you know, there's times where I know for a fact you've not even wanted to go. But you, you have because it's ingrained in you and you're, you're, a, you're a top blue. It, sum it up, Mick, if you can. Sum it up this like nine months. What's it been like? You know what? What impact has it had on you? And and just how keen are you to avoid ever having to go through that again? Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been difficult, hasn't it? And I think looking back now, I think if we look back at the last few years, I think this sort of season had been coming. Um, okay, the Rafa Benitez appointment in hindsight is a shocker, but nevertheless, this sort of season was coming. It was going to be a real watershed moment at Everton Football Club because like Ben had previously said we have an owner that had been playing you know with feathers so to speak and we all know the saying we'd got him to bed with a lot of super agents it wasn't just Kia there was a couple of them heavily involved in Everton and still are due to Farhad Mishiri so we'd wasted a lot of money so going into the season that's just gone Everton were in a perilous position FFP wise the Premier League were all over us clubs were looking at Everton and the vultures were circling, thinking that they are overspending. It is as simple as that. And ultimately, we had a manager that the fans didn't really get behind. I know they did at Goodison, but internally, there was that little bit of, as we all said, it was a big split amongst the fan base. So it was a recipe for disaster looking back, wasn't it? And it, it was that. And we're lucky. We are very, very lucky that there was a few teams worse than Everton because arguably from September until what? April. Everton were by far and away the worst team in the Premier League. There was no denying it. We were absolutely dreadful. Um, I know you just touched on it, Lee, about you know, myself going to the games. I go to virtually every game with, with my dad. And my dad is, what, 64? And he said so many times, this is one of the, if not the worst team he's seen for, for backbone, spirit, fight, organisation, leaders... And, you know, my dad's quite a, a level-headed Evertonian. Do you know what I mean? He, he's seen some very, very good teams and he's seen some very, very poor teams. And when he started to say that to me midway through the season, alarm bells were ringing for me. I was thinking, we're in trouble here. We're in big, big trouble. But as you both so brilliantly said this evening on, on, on the podcast, it, I, I, it's a cliche. Of course, it's, you know, the fans dragged us over the line and, and everything that goes with it. No, that they bloody did, that they really, really did. And if it wasn't for the fans... Because Goodison can be a horrible place to come and play football as an Everton player. You know, Ben Foster's made that quite clear on his podcast. You know, as an opposition player, you go to Goodison and you think, you know what, keep it tight first 15, 20, and the fans turn against their own. And we can't deny that we do. It's an expectation at Goodison. Fans just expect. And sometimes it can be a difficult place if you're not mentally strong. And Everton have a number of players that aren't mentally strong. So when the going got tough halfway through the season, Goodison was a horrible place to come play football, even as an Evertonian in a blue shirt. And yeah, the writing was on the wall for a long, long time. Um, it's been tough. A lot of sleepless nights. Just three, especially have been messaging each other at 3, 4am, you know, talking about the previous night's game and worrying where the points are going to come from. And it's been really, really tough. And, and, you know, the event's just been and gone on, on Friday. And it was so great to see so many people there, so many people that keep coming back to these events and familiar faces. And you just look at them and you feel there's a weight off their shoulders as well. You can just put it to one side for a, a month or so and almost reflect on a really, really tough season and what now must happen to prevent this great football club being in that position again. Because the Premier League doesn't wait for anybody. And Everton are no exception. We're not too big to get relegated. We have to remember that. And I know we all jokingly say we don't do relegations. Any team can get relegated. It's as simple as that. And, you know, we are a big club. There's no doubt about that. But we can get relegated. Big clubs have gone before and not come back. So the post-mortem should begin internally. Will it begin internally? I'm not sure. 
because the people that need to be looked at and judged are the ones doing the post-mortem, so to speak. So that's an issue for me. But that, again, is an internal problem, which I don't think is going to change anytime soon. Kevin Thalwell is now on board. Um, as you know, I've got, I've got friends at Wolves. The jury's out on Kevin Thalwell. It was at Wolves. He made some brilliant moves and brilliant changes at, at Wolves when it, his time there. Picked up some real good buys, but he also did some, you know, odd moves, odd changes infrastructure-wise at, at Wolves, which were, you know, eyebrows were raised. And as I said, I've still got a few friends there. So the, the jury's out on him. We can only judge him on his results. We have to trust him. We have to trust Frank Lampard and his staff until... Otherwise, it's, it's as simple as that. Just like it was with Rafa Benitez, you have to trust your manager. You don't have a choice. You've got to believe that they're the best thing for this football club at this time. But we all know if Farhad Mashiri continues to meddle, get involved with the playing side of things, we will continue to be on this merry-go-round. Will he continue to get involved next season? Yes, he will, because it's his football club and he knows no different. And he's in bed with a number of agents. So that's my concern. And I just hope Frank Lampard, who I believe is very tough mentally and will say no to an owner, which is exactly what we need. And Kevin Thelwell, alongside Frank Lampard, can form a good team because it's the first time Everton now have got a director of football and a manager working in tandem for many of year. Marcel Brands had his critics and rightly so. He wasn't the only problem, but he was an issue. He didn't get on with Carlo Ancelotti. He didn't get on with Rafa Benitez. And he wasn't a great fan of Duncan Ferguson and vice versa. Now, that's a huge problem, isn't it, at a football club when everyone's not pulling in the same direction, especially on the playing side of things. At boardroom level, you're always going to have problems and people wanting this and people wanting other things. That's a boardroom. That's what it's like in football. Boardroom in football, it's just a different world. We have to accept that, that we are no different. We have an owner. That is, unfortunately, not a good owner. Once the ground's built, let's hope this football club can kick on because, like you've both said, we are in a tough spot right now financially. FFP, the Premier League are all over us. And mid-table for this football club now seems like almost a, a bit of silverware, which is a joke in reality. But if this club get it right, we could be going into Bramley Moor with a clean slate. FFP, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, our eyes are all over us right now. But we can start to slowly correct this now over two years by being smart, being smart in the business, in the transfer window, selling at the right time. And that is means selling your best players at the right time because we have to sell our best players because that's what we are. Unfortunately, every club in the world, bar the likes of Real Madrid, are selling clubs at the right price. It is as simple as that. That is football nowadays. It's a different world. Ben touched on dipping into the championship well, the, the championship's now a different world because four four to 10 years ago, shall we say, you could dip into the championship and pick up a player for £2 million. Them days are gone. A good championship player now is £15 million. Well, Everton don't have that sort of money to, back, to throw around anymore. So we have to be very smart. We have to go for players that maybe other clubs aren't looking at, have a wider scouting network, be, be inventive in our transfers. And that's what Kevin Thalwell and Frank Lampard have got to do until Bramley Moore. Keep us afloat, keep us a sustainable football club. Because once Bramley Moore's built, commercially, we're a completely different animal. Financially, we'll be a completely different animal. And 75% of our high earners, by the time Bramley Moore is built, their contracts will have finished. So then it's up to Everton if we want to renew them. So we're going to be a completely different animal if we manage this football club correctly now. And Kevin Thurwell and Frank Lampard, the trust is with them. They manage the playing side of things. It's now down to them. And we've just got to hope and pray that Fahad Mashiri stops meddling, stops bringing in the likes of Kia Drabchin on board and throwing players into the changing room like Al Ghazi, which was well documented. And let's hope that, that you know it's no more plasters on, on leaking holes on a ship, shall we say. Now the operation now begins and the repairs really, really start at this, at this football club. But there's no doubt about it, Lee. It's been a horrific season. I'm delighted it's over. I've enjoyed the last couple of weeks of just peace and quiet. But now the work begins for Frank Lampard, currently on holiday, back in the UK very, very soon. And the work begins for, for Everton Football Club for the 
three season. So, guys, I'm going to put it back on you two. Lee, I'll start with you. This summer's going to be difficult, as we've spoken about. Maybe sell to buy, maybe a bit of wheeling and dealing. So, based on that, if there was just one position amongst the Everton 11 that Everton could solve this window, just one, which is the most important for you? Yeah. Um, oh, it's a toss-up between centre-back and number six. Um, it's got to be number six. I've got to, I've got to go team Matthew Neal here. Number six for me. I think we just need that sort of create, sort of mix, a hybrid. We need a hybrid in there. Someone who's, who's got that bit of guile but can also get up and down the pitch, you know, and, and break the lines. We need a number six desperately, Mick. Um, but I want to say before we go to Ben, you know, and you're obviously going to ask him the same question. I just want to personally say on behalf of all of us, a massive, genuine, heartfelt thank you to everyone who listens to this podcast. Um, all the blues that we've met over the course of this season, because it's been incredibly humbling. You know, all the nice comments we receive either on Twitter at the events, at the ground, everywhere. You know, it, it's so lovely when people come up and, and thank you for doing these sorts of things. We don't do it for thanks. We don't do it for praise. I can absolutely guarantee you that. It's just something that we enjoy doing. People seem to like, um, but we love sort of bringing Evertonians together. That is by far the best part of it. But we genuinely, massively appreciate it. And we wouldn't have a podcast. We wouldn't have a successful podcast if it wasn't for everyone listening in, retweeting, saying nice things and it honestly not one goes amiss doesn't get ignored they're all they all mean the world to to me mick ben matt jack everyone else involved with the podcast it means everything so thanks for your support and hopefully we can continue to do some some good stuff for you next year and beyond yeah here, here. We'll, we'll go into that shortly lee but, but ben before that number one priority for you this summer what position um, to toss up again, centre back, centre mid. I'm going to go against the grainy. I'm going to go obviously the centre half because I argued about it earlier on of, of how much we chopped and changed this season and how poor our results were. Obviously, yeah, we mean at the back. And I think speaking to yourself, Lee, Matt Neal, others, James Tarkowski will come in and pray stays fit. He will get stuck in, he will be a leader. And I think that's the position we need to get boxed. Um, I also feel we, we could get a young centre-half alongside them on loan, potentially, just to fill in that void and allow Jared Bramthwaite or someone of that calibre to go out on loan somewhere else to get regular first-team football. So that's what I'd like to see, centre-half, Mick. Absolutely. And nice words, Lee. It's, it's echoed from myself. Unbelievable season. Thank you all. Yeah, just touching on, on what Lee and, and Ben have just said, you know, from a view from the Bullins, we, we absolutely, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for, for listening. What started out, and I know I've said it numerous times, it's just an idea, a, a little bit of fun, you know, getting 10 to 20 listens and it was just a bit of a laugh. It soon escalated into a, a few hundred to a thousand, and now it is just thousands that, that tune in to listen to us all over the the world, many Evertonians, and, and it does mean the world to everyone involved, myself, Lee, Ben, Bawley, Kevin Ratcliffe, Matt Neal, it, it just means that the world to us all, and we can't thank you enough, because without people listening, there is no podcast, and I know sometimes we do Twitter spaces to to try and mix it up a little bit, live phoning, so to speak, and we're, we're always open to ideas, and we always just go with the flow, and try and keep people interested in Everton, and you know, just to discuss, get a weight off your mind and almost we're all in it together. So thank you to to everybody all season through the, the good and the bad times. And I know there's been more bad times this season, but no, thank you. Thank you ever so much. And going forward, there's going to be many, many more podcasts, many, many more episodes. This isn't something that we're going to shy away from ever as a group. We're always going to continue this, including the, the events. We've got so many things happening behind the scenes with a view from the Bullies. We can't wait to tell you all, but it's just not right the right time at the moment but yeah there's so many exciting things happening podcasts website there's just a lot of things happening and we over the next couple of weeks we can't wait to to show you all and and give you a new and improved a view from the bullings podcast for the 22-23 season and beyond so that's it the 21-22 the, the season is over the curtains are closed it's done it's finished and we are still somehow a premier league football club and we now go into a difficult summer as the boys have said maybe a little bit of wheeling and dealing 
and a little bit of peeking beyond the curtains to see who we're looking at and who we're trying to sign. In the meantime, thank you to everybody that joined us at the Beer Keller in Liverpool on Friday, just gone. It was sold out. It was absolutely brilliant, fantastic scenes and a great sing-along with some Everton legends again to finish the season. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'll see you very soon. Maybe a Twitter space, maybe a podcast. Just keep an eye on our socials on Instagram or Twitter and we'll keep you updated with all things of you from the Bullins. Take care and all the very best. Thank you.